You're listening to the Gambling Gauchos, part of the Stake in the Plains content network and the Dave Campbell's Republic of Football podcast feed. Just a couple of casino caballeros talking Texas Tech, betting on the Big 12 and beyond. Now, here's Kyle Jacobson and Rob Bro live from the Cardinal Sports Center studio. Oh, welcome to the Gambling Gauchos. I'm Rob Bro. He's Kyle Jacobson, and he is Money Mainville. We've got some basketball to talk about. You can also gear up for some basketball games over there at Cardinal Sports Center, right outside the loop on Slide Road, or or online, mycardinalsports.com. Uh, you can gear up for anything there, but it is basketball season. A little bit of a light crowd against Omaha tonight, so if you're going to these future games, go gear up, get some Gauchos merch there as well. The official provider of Gauchos merch and sideline provisions merch. So just a couple of big hitters in there at Cardinals. Uh, gear up for your future at Cardinals. Kyle, money, how you doing? I am blessed and highly favored. Amen. Just experienced the uh, Kerwin Walton game, which was a lot of fun. So I'm doing I'm doing great. The Kerwin Walton game, a career high. So he claims his career high from uh, from North Carolina back to Texas Tech. Did Toussaint pass twenty two? I think he st- I think he stalled out. So Toussaint's. Career high is still the West Virginia game against Texas Tech. Oh, there's a quick comment here that that I want to go through before we do all of our Texas Tech stuff, real quick. What? Just just one week after the Chance McMillan game. Blessed. Breakout Bravo. performance on breakout performance on breakout performance. Uh, the Big Lubbock says, "What is going on in Manhattan, Kansas? Who is Linton, and what happened on their basketball side?" All right, let's just clear the air because it has been a wild 48 hours for Kansas State Athletics. Colin Klein gets hired at uh, Ana, or is potentially is that is that for sure now? Uh, and then a basketball player gets in some kind of scuffle. He is suspended, but not suspended, but suspended by the the team and then cleared by the team and then cleared by the ad but not cleared by the university president and now re-suspended i think from the university president as of a couple of minutes ago now the ad has sent out a statement saying he's suspended um it just seems like kind of a cluster do you have any more on that money that you're uh privy to no but they they need their players. I mean, they, they just do. lost to, to Villanova. Or I guess they beat Villanova um, on a late buzzer beater in a close game against America's best bad team. Um, so luckily they even the score for the Big 12 in that one. But uh, it, it's it's been a tough one for them, for sure. Villanova's first win since uh, Atlantis, which is just wild to me. Uh, they lost a couple straight there. I think they have four losses now. I think they lost three straight, maybe. Villanova. Crazy. Crazy that they looked so good against you and North Carolina and then just disappeared off the face of the earth. Ridiculous. Uh, and Memphis. They beat Memphis by 10 or 15. Uh, all right. 
Uh, all right, let's go back to uh, Texas Tech football. We've got one more kind of final thoughts, uh, career, not career, season-ending thoughts kind of uh, segment here. And I have a couple of mine, but I want to hear from Kyle first. Kyle, season-ending thoughts on the Texas Tech season that seemed lost in the middle and kind of got back on track toward the end. Yeah, uh, I wasn't exactly sure what kind of format we were going to go with this, so I'll just sort of talk through it. But um, I think maybe a good way that it's helped me uh, cope or (laughs) reckon with the season is to sort of view the Texas Tech football team or football program like a stock price. And even though – this was Joey's second year. I feel like this off season, he was kind of hyping up like an IPO. Like first year was just, I'm getting the pieces together. We're, we're moving houses. We're recruiting our first class to Lubbock, all that stuff. But that, you know, he certainly did his part in setting public expectations and he did not pull any punches or hedge any bets there. He said, you know, we, we want to win the Big 12 before Texas leaves. He said this year's team could beat the bowl team by 14 points. He said we had a defensive end get drafted seventh overall in the NFL draft, but our defensive line could be even better this year. He said we have the best quarterback room in the country. And so before the IPO, everybody's going, oh, my gosh, this stock, you know, it's valued at $500 a share or whatever. Like we got to – Buy, buy, buy. This is incredibly valuable stuff. And Rob, you and I were there in Laramie, and we go up 17-0, and I'm like, he was right. You know, this like clockwork, we're going to come up here, take care of this team. It's running like a well-oiled machine. And, you know, it's just Wyoming, but, like, you know, we're 15 minutes into that game up in Laramie. And I was like, all right, man, I can't wait to get to Oregon, get to big 12 play and see this come to fruition. And then pretty much from that point on from 17, zero and Laramie on the stock price just tumbles. It, you know, it, it never crashed. Cause you know, you were competitive with Oregon. You get in the win column against Tarleton. You lose an ugly game against West Virginia when Shuck gets hurt. But at one and three, the stock price pretty much bottomed out. And I'm not saying right or wrong in terms of fan reactions. Everybody's entitled to feel however they want to feel. I think at one and three, or maybe even right after the loss to Wyoming, people were just like, okay, it's over with. It's done. The preseason hype was crazy. We're, we're a disappointing, underwhelming team. Joey's a fraud. Like, I'm out. It's over with. I'm not that way. I've explained before. I have a hard time disengaging from this. I've tried. I think before Matt Wells's last season, I pledged to myself and my wife. I was like, you know what? I'm just not going to care this year. And if I can watch the game, I will. If not, no big deal. I'll go rake leaves in the front yard. or And then fall 2021 came and I couldn't actually do that. I, I was locked in for every game. I was staying up till 1 a.m. reading the message boards. Like I, I can't disengage from it, even at 1 and 3. And then I feel like the stock price got back up to a point where if you told me before the season, we're going to go five and four in the big 12, we're going to make a low level bowl game. I would have said, yeah, 
I, I'll roll the dice because I think we can do better than that. But going way back, I think right after the Ole Miss bowl win, Rob, you were like, hey, what's a what's a reasonable expectation for next year? And I think I said seven wins. And if you win the bowl game, you'll be at seven wins. And acknowledged at the time, I was like, that's probably not what people are going to want to hear. They're going to want to hear next step, like nine wins or whatever. And then, again, Joey certainly did his part to elevate those expectations among the fan base. But I think after a dreadful start, and I mean right out of the gates in Laramie and through the first third of the season, I, I, I tend to be kind of optimistic in general, and I think you were able to salvage something and show a lot, especially given some of the injury stuff. I think the final line, you know, we, we use this stat with Shuck all the time, but Morton's final line, I think, 5-1 and one in games he started and finished. Now the one was, like, really bad. Yes. And some of those five were sort of grinded out ugly. Can he throw the ball or not? Um, but that's sort of how I view it. Like, there's no way around the fact that this season underwhelmed preseason expectations. And I don't think fans would be a whole lot happier at 6-6 six and six playing Cal in a bowl game, 5-4 and four in the Big 12, had Joey just, like, done nothing really to set expectations one way or the other. But it certainly made it worse by kind of hyping things up the way he did. So all that to say, um, was this season overall a win based on the expectations baked in? No. Like the stock is lower than it was before you kicked off in Laramie. No doubt. But the good thing about stock price, unless the company just ceases to exist, is like you get to trade again tomorrow when the market opens. And that's where I look around and do see signs of progress. Like, you know, a winning record in Big 12 play is significant for a program that's only done it twice in the last 15 years. The way you're recruiting is certainly good for your stock price. And I still, in this analogy, am very much on board with the company's leadership. I'm not like, oh, it's broken because we've got the wrong CEO. We need to fire the CEO. I think we have the right CEO. So, yeah, I think the stock price is lower than it was when the season started. But if you've ever traded stocks and coped with the stock you bought going down, you know that you don't actually lose money until you cash out. And I'm not cashing out, and I think the stock price will go back up. Maybe next season, maybe in two years, I don't know. But I think we've got the right people in place, the right strategy in place to do it. And that's kind of how I'm choosing to view this season going into the bowl game. I don't think the bowl game will radically change it one way or the other for me. I th think I expect Texas Tech to win. If you lose a competitive game to Cal, does that mean everything's off the rails? No. If you lose 42 to zero, okay, maybe something's going on here. Um, so that could move the needle a little bit for me, but I don't expect it to be much. And that's kind of my takeaway from the season. If you had a letter grade on this season, what would you give it? C plus. Yeah. Like you're, you, you passed, but you didn't impress anybody. I think that's where I land. I, I a C or C plus. You certainly, through the first nine weeks or semester, whatever you want to call it, uh, were failing, and then I think you got back above a failing grade. But your your first report card certainly was uh, failing, and you had to work back to it. Yeah, you got the the progress report at yeah. three weeks, not the report card, but the progress report that you had to go show mom and dad. And they're like, "Hey, why do you have a sixty-two in yeah. English? Why do you have all uh, this work like, there?" Yeah, okay, let me work my ass off, and when the report card comes out, I'll have a B 
B minus or whatever. So, yeah, I'm with you on that. In uh, uh, Algebra 2, I believe, I had a 79 through the first half of the semester and a 97 through the second half of the semester and didn't have to take the final because I got an A in the class. So uh, that's that's what you need to see uh, from Joey McGuire. And certainly, you know, one loss in November this year, one loss in November last year can, to varying degrees. Uh, you want to see that because you've been so bad in November over the last several coaching staffs. Uh, you finished strong. But you certainly didn't start strong, and and as much as I want to say again and over, uh, and over again that uh, Wyoming was a fluke, and Oregon was a four turnover performance, you, you still got beat twice in the non-conference, which you don't want to see. I'm gonna add one last caveat to my stock analogy. Uh, stocks get lumped in with their competitors, so like anytime. Like Google, Facebook, Apple, they're all like, how are the tech stocks doing today? And so it kind of matters how you do relative to your peers. And there are other stocks in the Big 12, like TCU and Baylor, that got off to the same rough start you did. Like week one, everybody lost as a 14-plus point favorite. And Baylor certainly never got it corrected. They got the progress report, and they were failing. And then they got the report card, and they were failing. And they're going to summer school in this analogy. Um, TCU, I think the only team to start the season ranked and not make a bowl game. And so that's where I look around like the industry sector that we're in here and go, okay, disappointing, you know, within our own four walls here. But I look around at some of our competitors, I go, their stock price is half of what ours is right now. And so maybe that offers you a little bit of solace. Maybe it doesn't. I think you could argue maybe Oklahoma state in the same, uh, bearing that they were failing, at their progress report, losing to South Alabama, uh, calling the non-conference the progress report, and then they came back and were great in the Big 12. Uh, Money, anything to add there? Do you have a a final grade for the Texas Tech football season? Yeah, I was thinking a little bit about it before we started recording here, and I think C-plus is where I eventually landed. I think you've got to consider some of the – you know, just things that you ran into. I wouldn't call them outliers because they happen in college football and you've got to adjust, but lose your starting veteran quarterback. Your other quarterback comes in, plays with, you know, a bad arm for most of, if not all of the season from West Virginia onwards. Um, And then, you know, you're even having to play your true freshman a little bit and that ends up putting you in the negatives, um, especially with the turnover margin. And so I think you had to deal with that you had to deal with some offensive line issues. I think it it started a lot worse than it ended. Rob, you said a few weeks ago, like it, it tended to get better week after week, and that kind of felt like the case. Um, I don't think the pass rush was maybe where you wanted to see it, especially, you know, just seeing how much of an impact that can have on the game last year. Uh, but there were also a lot of positives, right? Like Taj Brooks doing what he did this year was phenomenal obviously had a great season statistically I think there were individual performances across the board you could look at a guy like Ben Roberts who had a really good year I still think Dejon Taylor Demerson is one of the more valuable players to come through Texas Tech's defense in the last few years and so I think all things considered C plus feels fair you obviously had high hopes for this season and there was reason for that you ran into some adversity along the way but about how you adjust and, and finish and I think you know the the Texas loss and 
really just losing the way you did in that game kind of, I think, hurts your progress support. Obviously, beating OU in Texas last year gave you a little bit more juice at the end of the season. Um, but I think all things considered, you had some massive curveballs thrown your way and adjusted the best you could at times. I mean, you had a, a G5 loss this year and a G5 win last year, Houston. And but that's the difference between the season. Because you, you lost your Power 5 opponent outside of conference last year and this year. And then everything else is the same. So uh, you had to win an extra Big 12 game to get there. But 6-6, six and 7-5, six, and five, to me, feels about the same. Um, I don't know why, but I felt better about last year, I guess, because you, you did beat Texas, and, and maybe that's the common sticking point. Uh, defensively, I, I feel like you have a higher grade defensively than you do offensively this year. Um, and defensively in Lubbock, you kind of get that bump because you hadn't played defense in 20 years. And so to hold somebody to 27 points per game and you're like, oh, hell yeah. Like we're really cooking best defense since 2009 uh, when you had 22 points per game. So uh, it is what it is in that respect. But I would say that that uh, maybe a B on defense and a C on offense, and then you get your C plus. So is what it is in that respect. There's some budgetary questions here. Do you want to, you want to tackle those now or later here, Kyle? I don't think I have the answers. I think those numbers are from a TJ Altimore graph. So I actually don't feel compelled to okay, good. engage with that at all. And that's not a knock on the commenter there. They, they don't know where they came from, but no. So those were uh, there. There were public numbers put out earlier in the week, and then uh, I guess he's updating with private numbers. Uh, TCU and Baylor. I mean, on a scale of one to ten, how much do you trust TJ Altimore to honestly and accurately, without an agenda, provide you with a data uh, visualization on something like that? Zero. I trust him. Zero. Yeah. Uh, the offensive line was still a problem, so that's why we see it being totally overhauled. I don't think it's being totally overhauled. You just lost one guy so far off of it. Uh, just hope they can do it. And so the receivers were not good this year. Uh, two off the offensive line? Oh, well, Landon Peterson, too. But he didn't play this year. I'm talking starters. Yeah, Seth Martin, he didn't, he didn't one start of the younger guys. Um, yeah, and the uh, – Let's go into the transfer portal. A couple of guys, and I'm going to read all the names on it so far, and then you can kind of talk about it. And we've listed some of these already, but uh, Tyler Shuck, who has landed at Louisville, we'll talk about that as well. Uh, Landon Peterson, Monroe Mills, Miles Price, Dran Bradley, Nehemiah Martinez, Seth Martin, Matt Keeler, Nate Floyd, Tyler King, um, and Loic Fungi, Dran Bradley today, I believe. Tyler King, uh, Monday maybe. Nehemiah Martinez, uh, I don't think ever said he was entering the portal, but put like some stats out and said, thank you, Texas Tech. So I guess that was a, <laughs> enough of an admission that he, they went ahead and put him in the portal. So uh, that's according to 24-7. Uh, you, you are, how do you want, uh, worry meter. How about that? What's your worry meter on the guys who've entered the portal? One. Yeah, one out of ten? Yeah, it's Monroe Mills. Like, about ten guys have entered the portal. How many would I really want back? Probably just Monroe Mills. 
Here's a good litmus test, and I don't like talking about individual players like this because I do still kind of think they're amateur athletes. I know they're getting paid and all that. Jalen Polk, when he transferred away from Texas Tech, wound up at Washington. Did he improve his situation? Yes. And you would want him back today, right? Yeah, I wanted him when he left, yeah. Um, Michael Shanahan, the offensive line transfer who came in last year, he transferred to, do you know where? Actually, no. Me neither. Did he improve his situation? I no, I have no idea. So that's sort of how I judge these. So it's like, I mean, I have my own personal feelings on what I want to keep a guy on the roster, what I want to see him processed or seek playing time elsewhere. But the market will also tell us something about that. If a guy leaves and immediately gets offers from Alabama, Ohio State, probably a guy that we would take back, yeah. And if his offers are UTEP and North Texas, no offense, probably not a guy that the coaching staff deemed worthy of a roster spot and a scholarship. And they think we could probably upgrade if we roll the dice on the portal at this guy's same position. And so very few guys coming in at this point because guys still have to enter the portal. They have to take their visits, all that. So we can only see who we've lost at this point. Can't really see who we've replaced him with, but a month or two down the road here, we'll be able to say, okay, you lose a guy like Miles Price, and then what did you bring in to replace him with? And we'll be able to say, okay, do you feel better or worse about that individual guy or that individual position group? Um, so that's where I'm at. Like, I think Jerron Bradley will land at a power five. I think Monroe Mills will. Um, everybody else, I don't think that's a certainty or would even go as far as to say they don't really have a shot at making another power five roster. And in that sense, I trust. Joey McGuire, James Blanchard, and the recruiting staff to hopefully identify upgrades at each of these positions that we're losing in the portal. And again, I'll say this every year until it seemingly starts to click, but some fans, not all fans, some fans, a guy who's never played here enters the portal after being on the roster for two or three years and a commenter questions, oh, what's going on in the locker room? We're losing so many guys to the portal. You're not. Like 15 to 20% of your roster every single year from now on is going to leave in the portal, no matter what. If you go 11 and 0 or 0 and 11, 15 to 20% of your roster is going to hit the portal at least. I think I said, sorry, go ahead. That's basically it. Just like, are you losing? Okay, if like Tosh Brooks decides not to go to the NFL and he hits the portal, that's a big loss. If a guy who literally has not recorded it, you know, any statistical category here hits the portal. It's probably because he's going to try to go get playing time at group of five or FCS. And we think we can upgrade. And so that's why I don't panic at the kinds of departures we've seen to this point. And I think I said Fungi and Bradley earlier. I meant Fungi and Sparkman entered the portal today. JJ Sparkman. Over under five and a half catches for Loic Fungi this year. Well, I'm looking at it. So, what, what say you, money? I'll go, I'll go under. He had five. It's he like, had five. Do you think as good at, as Joey and Blanchard are at recruiting the high school ranks that they can find a guy to replace that production in the portal? I think the odds are in our favor. And, again, like I'm not trying to take a shot at Fungi. I think that the previous coaching staff was looking for guys like his and J.J. Sparkman's body type. This offensive scheme is looking for something different. We clearly weren't able to utilize Fungi's skill set, Sparkman's skill set in this offense. 
So it's probably better for them that they move on, and it's probably better for Texas Tech that they move on. And so I think there's also just sort of this sense of, oh, the portal's different, and that's not how college sports used to be, so I don't like it. I get that. But also, again, if this is mutually beneficial for all parties, then I, I view it as a good thing. And there are a lot of success stories from the portal of guys getting playing time they otherwise wouldn't have. Jalen Polk's a good one. Like He would have gotten playing time here, but he's about to play for – college football playoff and he just won his conference. And so you can't really fault a guy like that for, for leaving. And so, um, yeah, my, my worry meter is still very, very low. I was about to say with Fungi and Sparkman, if you had told me before the season, both those guys would be entering the transfer portal. uh, I would have been a little worried, but they together had seven catches for 80 yards. And Sparkman specifically was the fourth tight end, basically, and only really came in on on one formation where he came across the field and blocked, and then they turned that into a pass play once where he leaked out, and that was one of his catches. So, I, I don't know, seven catches in a in a season between two guys who – I think maybe when we were talking about breakout players, Kyle, you might have had Fungi, and I definitely had Sparkman. And neither of them broke out, and that's frustrating, but they're all gone. And and again, there was another guy who just entered the portal whose best offer so far seemingly was from North Texas, uh, and then he deleted the offers off his Twitter. So uh, that's another guy you think might get a Power 5 offer, but hasn't yet, or at least he hasn't tweeted one. Our uh, Patreon subscribers also know exactly how many people we expected to hit the portal. And so when guy number 10 or 11 hits the portal, you're not going, oh, well, this is a lot. You know, we thought three or four would, like, the number is out there. They have to go under a certain number so they can add guys in the portal and stay at 85 scholarships. And that's just the way college sports is now. I'm not saying it's good or bad. But you kind of need to recalibrate what you expect every year when the portal opens up if you're panicking when guy number six or eight hits the portal because that is going to happen every single year, no matter what. Uh, I don't remember if I sent this to you, Kyle, or you sent it to me, but uh, there's a player who was part of Matt Wells' final class um, that got here when Joey got here and has not played a snap in two seasons and then entered the portal. And the com- one of the comments underneath it were um, – Oh my God, what is happening? I thought this guy was going to be great. It's like, well, just because you think that if he hasn't played in two years, he might not ever play here. So of course he's going to leave and try to go play somewhere. So I don't know, not a single snap in two years and people are treating him like uh, he's going to be a huge breakout player next year. So, and I understand in some positions, maybe offensive line, you're not playing for the first two years and you're buying your time and, and getting it. But if it's a skill position, you haven't seen the field in two years, there's something there or nothing there. One of the two. Uh, okay. Kyle, if uh, you were wronged by an agent in the transfer portal, who might you call to, to try to get that fixed? I'd call Barnett Howard and Williams and they might be busy based on some stuff I've seen on Twitter. Not, I'm not getting into all that, but holy cow. Uh, yeah, if, you were, if you're a student athlete right now in the portal and you have a, a shady agent who's maybe not taking care of business like 
he ought to. Give our friends over at Barnett, Howard, and Williams a call. I don't know if they're certified for Transfer Portal and NIL, but they are certified for Title IX student litigation, family law, criminal defense, uh, catastrophic injury, you name it, they do it. BHWLawFirm.com. They hope you never need them, but you've got somebody solid and trustworthy in your corner if you do. And that's more than can be said about the agent market for players looking for NIL deals in the portal. Or so it seems. All right. Um, would you rather play Oregon or Washington State next year? Money, what do you think about this situation? Yeah, so I do not like giving up a home game. Um especially after, you know, well, here's what I'll say. You you went and you hosted Oregon, right? Obviously a very competitive team, you know, had a shot at the college football playoff for a while, quality opponent. And that opponent is now off of your schedule for a team who will be essentially not in a power conference next year, a Mountain West team. Um and you're going and playing them on the road. And so just looking at it at face value feels like an objective loss to me. And I have seen really just one other argument to it, which is, hey, let's let you know the games, the historical games that have been played for a long time, let's let those continue to be played. Um, but I don't really understand why you kind of hose yourself to make that happen. Um, obviously, a lot of decisions go into that, but I think on paper, it it's a loss just in terms of quality of game. And, you know, maybe looking at a situation like Florida State this year, you know, hey, maybe the games don't matter that much, um, but it still just feels like an objective on paper loss. What's frustrating to me is that you changed the game to facilitate what Oregon wanted. Uh, you didn't do this for the betterment of Texas Tech. You did it because Oregon said please. Now, I'm not opposed to that because on this podcast and across the landscape of college football, people have been complaining and begging for regional rivalries to stay. And this game change allows Oregon and Oregon State to play each other next year. You get paid a certain amount of money. I think I saw $100,000 from Don Williams to play Washington State next year. And I guess Oregon's paying that. I don't know how that all works. But I want a shark to be focused on the betterment of Texas Tech, not just the betterment of college football and rivalries and what Oregon wanted out of this, because it feels like Oregon fleeced everybody in order to keep their schedule, how they wanted it. Yeah. And Oregon says, I think in the Lubbock AJ article written by Don Williams, I think it says that like, you know, you're not canceling the Oregon game, but you're pushing it back to 2033 or 2032. Yes. That's, that's, I believe the year. Either way, I'm not confident that game gets played. I think Oregon said that to appease you now, and then they'll back out. Like 
if it costs them 500,000 to cancel it, they will, they're going to make a billion dollars every year on their new TV deal anyway, like to drop in the bucket. And so I'm in agreement with y'all. It's an obvious step down in competition and it, it's not clear to me how this benefits Texas tech. And obviously it's, Kirby Hokut's job and the Texas Tech Athletic Department's job to do what's best for our athletics programs. And missing the opportunity to play at Oregon against, well, not to be a power two team, but like top half of the power two in this new dynamic. um, Like, it's not clear to me that you're going to get opportunities to play teams like that going forward. Your future non-conference opponents from the power five or what exists of the power five now you already had a series with Oregon State, NC State from the ACC owes you a return trip. You were going to go to Oregon. Now you're probably not, or if you do, it'll be in a decade. And then I think Mississippi State, Arizona was on there, but now that's a conference game. I want to say that's it. I might be missing something. I'm going off memory here. I might be missing something seven or eight years out. Um, so you have, I think Mississippi State is the only power two team I rattled off there. And they're like, bottom rung of the power two. And so I don't want to be doom and gloom and say, you're never going to get to play a program like Oregon or Texas or Michigan or anybody like that ever again. Cause you know, hopefully you're playing in quality bowl games and things like that. But I don't think it's a guarantee that programs like that willingly schedule ACC and big 12 opponents going forward. I think they'll say our schedule is hard enough. We'll play some in-state group of fives. We'll play an, an FCS Maybe if there's an old rivalry like the Civil War, the Oregon-Oregon State, then we'll do that. But um, I'm not sure if, you know, A&M is going to sign up to play Virginia Tech in football or anybody kind of like roughly on those two levels of the sport moving forward. So if there's if there's a second part of this that you know, Texas Tech gets some sort of windfall I guess I'm open-minded to it, but right now you just look like a total pushover. It looks like you said, yes, sir, thank you, sir, please, sir, may I have another to Oregon. We'll accommodate you and your rivalry, and all we need in return is 100000 bucks, a group of five opponent that we could have scheduled, like with or without this cancellation. Like, is Washington State going to say no to a Power 5 school? You can schedule Washington State whenever you want, as far as I'm concerned, and a shot to – um, continue to convey to the public that you're focused on the University of Texas for some reason. Like that's all we got out of this: hundred thousand bucks, a road game, a, a group of five team that we could have scheduled whenever the hell we wanted if we wanted to, and Kirby taking a shot at UT in the Lubbock paper. Not even doing it, like just subtweeting them. Yeah, like is that? If you want to take a shot, take a shot. Don't say, well, we care about state rivalries, and maybe other people in Texas should too. Yet there's no actual leverage there. You no. can't go to Texas and say, hey, Oregon and Oregon State are playing their in-state rivalry, so when are you guys – like?" they're still going to say no. And I went on this rant a few episodes ago, but the focus on Texas needs to just disappear. Like, let's go win a Big 12 title. Let's go win our conference for the first time outright since Dwight Eisenhower was president. They don't want to play you. Leave it alone. Yeah, like, She dumped you. She's not going to return your next text message. It's over. So move on. Like, it looks so pathetic to me. And again, if I'm wrong, if, like, we got a second 
you know, okay, Oregon's coming to 2033 and 2028 or something like they're coming to Lubbock twice. Okay, yeah, sure. But right now it looks like you just, you know, got paid off for 100000 bucks and somehow wound up with a road trip. Like even Washington State in Lubbock, if you're going to get Oregon in the future, okay, sure, but why are they calling the shots on? Well, they're coming to Pullman. Like they have no schedule leverage. We're the ones adjusting our schedule to accommodate all of you so that y'all can play the Apple Cup and the Civil War. Uh, we're the Power Five team. Like we're not coming to Pullman. Y'all can come to us. And if you don't want to play us, fine. We'll have a vacancy on the schedule and we'll figure something else out. That's where, again, if you want to schedule a group of five to fill that, call anybody. It doesn't have to be Washington State. Yeah. There's not even a, a direct flight into Pullman. And that's what people always say about Lubbock, but it truly is uh, a small town. And now they're a group of two or whatever you want to call it. Uh, somebody asked what TV network will the game will be on. I mean, you played Wyoming on CBS, so nobody knows for sure, but it's not a week one game. Well, I think that's a whole, I think that's a whole other issue because Washington state and Oregon state don't have a TV deal. And I think those two schools alone, not as part of a conference, unless they somehow weave this into the mountain West deal, they're still looking for a TV carrier to air their home games. So I don't think it would come to this, but there's a shot this game. Like if they don't reach a deal, that it's either not on TV or it's on like Washington State TV, and you've got to buy a twenty-five dollar a month streaming service to watch it. Does the Pac-12 go through next year? I don't know. I, want I, say, I might have misunderstood that. I want to say that the Pac-2 now have autonomy in that conference and can operate as that conference for one more season. Is that not true? I don't know. They're not independent, but they're not somewhere else because I, why are they not rushed to to do something else if if they don't have that leeway but even then the pac 12 doesn't have a tv deal going forward right that's what i'm saying so like i don't know where their home games are going to be aired and i i would want to go to pullman had i not just gone to laramie a place that you can't fly to and watch us lose to a group of five team and i'm, I'm not opposed to scheduling them i think the solution to not losing to Wyoming is to just beat them. It's not to not play them. But, like, you're asking me to do that one year after I'm scarred from Laramie? I don't know. It's a tough sell. And, like, I, I was probably going to go to the Oregon game, but I know other people already had flights booked, hotels booked, golf outings booked, and it sucks for them. Um, I know a lot of this has changed because of – uh, scheduling and, and conference realignment, all this stuff. You you listed a bunch of these earlier, but I just want to read some future schedules and how bad, how bad they are. Uh, next year is ACU, Washington State on the road, North Texas. The year after that, Arkansas, Pine Bluff, Colorado State on the road, Oregon State. And you have ACU at Oregon State, Colorado State back at home. Uh, and then 2027 is Arkansas Pine Bluff, North Texas, and the return trip for NC State. It just, it's it's bad. So that's a good segue. I'm going to put my Kirby Hocut hat on and tell y'all what I would do if Oregon and Oregon State came to me and said, hey, will you move heaven and earth around on your end to accommodate us? Here's what I would have done. Are y'all ready for this? Yes. I would say to them, yes, we will work with you, but one, we need cash. 
more than 100,000. We need actual cash that's substantive. Two, I started looking at their schedules. I see Oregon on August 24th is playing a week zero game in Hawaii. Now, this is advantageous for multiple reasons. Number one, week zero, very minimal competition on TV. You're going to get a lot of eyeballs. Number two, there's a rule that if you go to Hawaii to play them, you get to play a 13th game on your schedule. So this is a freebie. This is on top of the other 12 that we're going to play. Number three, it's portal season. We need to replenish at a lot of different positions. We tell those guys, hey, we're going to Hawaii next year. You use this as a recruiting tool. Say no other school, probably no other school you're going to is going to go to Hawaii next year. You get a free trip on us. So we say, Oregon, we're taking that game. You still have 12. And now we have 13. And then I look around and I look at NC State, who you alluded to. They owe you a return trip. Now, they play eight conference games in the ACC, and they have four non-conference games in 2024. Three of those are at home against Group of Five or FCS, and a fourth is against Tennessee in Charlotte, North Carolina. So they have three home games, a fourth that's a neutral site, but it's in their home state. Tell them, you know what? Y'all can cancel one of those FCS or Group of Five and make your return trip in 2024. You broke our guy's leg. It was horrendous. You owe us one. You're coming to Lubbock in 2024. That way you get a Power 5 game on the books. And you're not going to Wazoo instead. Now, you've eliminated 2027, your Power 5 opponent, in the non-con for 2027. So what do you do? Fate is on your side because the Iron Skillet game between SMU and TCU ends in 2026. SMU has no non-conference opponents, FCS, G5, or Power 5 on the books in 2027. And so I propose you move Oregon State. We say we're coming two years early. And so you go to Oregon State in 2024. They come back to Lubbock in 2025. And then in 2026 and 2027, you now have vacancies. You have no Power 5s on your non-con. You start a home-and-home with SMU. They'll gladly take it, I'm sure. They'll be sick of the travel. They want to play a good non-con slate. So that's where we're at. 2024, you get Hawaii Week 0. We're not going to Wazoo. Instead, we go to Oregon State so we can get that series out of the way. We play NC State in Lubbock because they owe us one for breaking Bryce Ramirez's leg. And then we play Abilene Christian, whoever we're playing. 2025, Oregon State makes their return trip. So you host them. I don't, I don't think you get to play a power five in the non-con in 2025. That's the one flaw with this. And then 2026 at SMU, 2027, SMU comes to the Jones. And remember, they're an ACC opponent now. So Oregon State, there's not much you can do there. They were power five when you scheduled it as this non-con game. They're not anymore. But they owe you one because you're helping them out with Oregon. So you say, we're coming two years early, getting that series out of the way. And then you got Mississippi State, 28 and 29. And then I don't think you have anything 2030 and beyond. Arkansas. That's what I would have done. You have Arkansas in 2030 and 31. Oh, let's go. Yeah, there you go. And SMU, apparently. Now, does that sound preferable to what we're doing instead? That seems like a whole lot of forward thought and uh, effort on the Texas Tech side instead of just saying, oh, you already have a plan? Okay, I'll sign here. <laughs> And, like, it's probably a pipe dream. You can't just tell NC State, jump, and then they say how high. But, like, you could try. Their fans might want to – 
like, I don't know, maybe you pitch it to them as, hey, we're going to open up 2027 for you if you can just drop one of these FCS games. Are you, saying, you, are you saying Oregon told Texas Tech to jump and Kirby said how high? I mean, did we not? <laughs> Seems like it. And even if you got half of what I just laid out, I would take it over what we yeah. – and, it, like, it's not that crazy. Like, I'm, I'm talking about just reorganizing teams you already scheduled with, just move it around a couple years, leverage that Hawaii game week zero. Like, it's not insane to me. Uh, Poncho Loco says the Pac-2 can be the Pac-2 for two more years, recognized by the NCAA. Uh, the Mountain West is on CBS and the CBS Network, yes, but I don't know what uh, I don't know where I don't know what Washington State's doing TV-wise. And yes, the Oregon State is uh, home and home, uh, but with a new coach, who knows if they continue being good or go back to what Oregon State always was or has mostly been throughout their history. I don't know if they're going to be good or not. And if the ACC explodes, who knows if anything that you just laid out is good anyways because NC State might be a Big 12 team. That's true. Um, one more thing I'll add. I've, I think I've thrown this idea around on the podcast before. I don't know what years you would do this. I think while Matt Rule is at Nebraska and while Joey's at Tech, yes. they need to leverage that friendship and say three-year series, Lincoln once, Lubbock once, Arrowhead the day before a Chiefs game once. Yeah, I'm in. The day before Chiefs Raiders. Yeah. Or uh, Chiefs Panthers so that Rule can watch his former team. Uh, okay. Uh, Money, how good was Curran Walton tonight? The best he's been. It was, uh, it was his night, and – even just like the the shooting numbers are what they are and and they were good um obviously making a career high six to seven from beyond the arc um but even just like watching him when he wasn't shooting like he he had a little bit more in his bag than i think we've seen at all through tech i mean he put the ball on the floor and had a nice little dribble move got to the basket um and even like while the game was happening, I I'd clicked on his Twitter profile because I'd seen somebody at him. And like the first video on his Twitter is him like working out in an empty gym and just doing like all of these crazy crossover moves. And I'm like, who is this guy? Uh, and he kind of showed a flash to that tonight. Um, and so I think that's, that's a really positive sign. It's, it's something you want to see in these games is just guys get a little bit more comfortable, not only with themselves, but within the system that they're playing in. And so obviously Omaha is not Villanova. They are not Butler. Um, but this did look like a Texas tech team that is kind of learning how to capitalize on the things they do well. Um, it felt like the perimeter shooting was an emphasis tonight, even when it wasn't going in. I think seven of their first eight shots from the field were threes, and I think they made four of them, um, or maybe one of them. They started slow, kind of heated up there, um, thanks to Kerwin Walton. But it feels like they're still trying to capitalize on what's doing well. And then tonight, I thought the defensive energy was a lot better than it has been. Guys shooting passing lanes. Even towards the end of the game, you saw some of that activity. And so offense, I mean, hey, if you can keep having guys have career nights, that's not going to hurt. But defensively, I think the energy was a lot better. Warren Washington was a little bit better around the rim, um, even though he had kind of a rough night offensively. But I think this is why you have this 
slate of games, right? For the next month, you, you play Texas in in a month. Um, what do you do before then? You've got some good tests, you know, not some crazy teams, not teams of the caliber that you've played already, but you've got a Sam Houston state. That's a pretty good team. You've got Oral Roberts. Their defense looks atrocious this year, um, but should still be somewhat of a competitive game. And then you've got Vanderbilt and Fort Worth. And all you're trying to do right now is wrinkle out or iron out all the wrinkles before Big 12 play, figure out what you can do and what you have to work with, and then go and execute on that. Has Kerwin Walton played himself into the seventh man role? I know he was hot today, but even defensively, it seems like he's a little bit better. Yeah, it's getting curious watching what's going to happen with that spot. Because right now, you've got your starting five. Um, That kind of feels like the default lineup right now. And then you've got small ball with, um, I guess it's McMillan that's coming in to fill that spot right now for Washington. And everybody just kind of moves down a spot on the ladder, but it just kind of feels like that spot's going to keep going to whoever has the hot hand. Like we've seen it go to, or I guess it kind of happened with Lamar Washington and Denton during the scrimmage. Obviously chance McMillan looked like he had a good bid for that spot after knocking down eight threes. And then Kerwin Walton's competing for minutes there, but that is absolutely not a bad thing to be really deep, especially on the wing. And especially with how thin you are down low, you want to continue to know that you have versatility and options in these small ball lineups, especially uh, with Devin Cambridge going down tonight. Don't know how serious that ankle injury or knee injury, whatever it ends up being. Um, I don't know if that'll keep them sidelined or not, but if it does, you're going to have to keep having guys kind of step up and fill that six, seven, eight man slot. Quick question about our offense. I think you mentioned on our last podcast, and maybe it wasn't specific to the offense, maybe it's just about the team in general, but searching for an identity. And I want to throw something at you. The last five games, here are the number of three-point attempts we've had in each of those five games, going back to Villanova. 36, 26, 21, 26 against Butler, and 28 tonight against Omaha. Uh that seems like a very high volume of threes. Am I correct? It is, yeah. So our three-point percentage in those five games, remember, we started off dreadful. We're 51 for 137 in those five games. That comes out to 37.2%, which isn't amazing, but it's definitely top half of the country. I think right now, if that were our season percentage, it would put us like 50-something nationally in three-point percentage, which is pretty good at – High volume, I think. Like, I think that gives you a chance on offense most nights. And just our last two games, small sample size, and I know Omaha isn't like a legit opponent, but you're 24-54. That's 44.4%. I know we're not going to shoot 44% moving forward, but if we hover around this 37-38 mark, what do you? first off, do you think we can do it? And second, what do you think that means for our offensive identity moving forward? Yeah, 37-38 is pretty elite, um, especially like across the board for a team. So I think that could be a very good ceiling for Texas Tech to get to. I think that would be what it ends up being is the ceiling. I don't know if you could do much better than that. But right now, I mean, before tonight, this isn't factoring in, obviously, however many threes they shot against Omaha. But 
Tech came into the game averaging the 93rd most threes in the country, which isn't a ton, but this is a team that obviously could not make one to start the year. We're one of the worst teams in Division One basketball at shooting the deep ball. And now you've kind of found something with it. You've had some positive regression. You've had your shooters step up and make shots. And so I think right now, that's kind of the identity or what it feels like is being worked towards as of the identity. And that's been kind of clear just with the way that McCaslin has kind of schemed things up, especially just running a lot of four out, running a lot of pick and roll. The The post offense has just, it has not really looked good. Um, I think they've tried to do some things with Washington. He showed some flashes of being a good passer at Arizona state tonight. They tried to put Darion Williams in there a little bit tonight and it, did not go great, but I think it's really going to revolve around what happens on the outside, what happens on the perimeter, and then just how well do you protect the ball? How well do you generate good offensive quality possessions? Because as much as I think McCaslin has been known as a grinded out guy who's going to really try and drain the clock, all that really is for is for generating quality shots. That all That's all it is. Like Nobody's trying to run two clock in basketball. It's really just, okay, how can I set up my offense to get the best quality shot possible? And right now that's starting to work a little bit, and I think that'll continue to happen as the ball handlers on this team play more and more minutes. Quick follow-up question on the three-point shooting. The seeming progression, both in the volume of shots you're taking and the rate at which you're making them, has kind of been done despite Pop Isaacs not being particularly good during that stretch. So I think on one hand, like that maybe increases your ceiling or at least makes up for if McMillan and Walton aren't absolutely lights out like they've been the last two games. Once Pop gets it figured out, it'll kind of even out. Um, Are you concerned at all about kind of his slower start or do you think it's just a matter of continuing to shoot and working it out and it'll start falling eventually? Yeah, I think – there really is no option other than to keep letting him shoot just because you don't have a guy with that offensive ceiling anywhere else. Like Joe Toussaint is proving to be all reliable, get it done every single night, whatever you need, I'm there. And he's shown up in a big way for tech by doing that. But in terms of offensive explosion, like pop Isaacs is going to be your best bet night in and night out. And so I think you've got to keep letting him shoot but I also don't think the solution is just, okay, let's let's run him an ISO. You know, let's give him an extra five possessions a game where we just clear out the floor and he can do whatever he wants with it. I think you've really got to try and capitalize on getting him off the ball. I think you have the talent to do it, especially with guys like Joe Toussaint on your roster. I'm still kind of interested to see what Chance McMillan looks like with the ball in his hands, although early results have not been promising. Lamar Washington's looked better at getting to the basket. He's been more aggressive. And so I think you've just got to try to take the ball out of his hands a little bit and then just let him generate space because he will stretch the defense because they know he's a threat. And then what do you create around him? Something I want to take a look at later this week is tech seemed to run a lot more of these kind of brush screen looks at the top of the key. And it wasn't really the first look that was generating the space it was the second or the third screen and that's not news for basketball sets but it does feel like this team's kind of starting to take another take it another layer deeper 
They're starting to figure themselves out a little bit more. They're becoming more confident. They're letting other guys handle the ball. And then even tonight, I think a, a big thought for me, and there's not a lot of overwhelming things to say after a near 30-point win, but it did seem like McCaslin was really letting guys play through mistakes. Like Robert Jennings came in. He made a play. I can't remember what happened, if he got called for a foul or if it was a turnover. But I thought, oh, man, he's going he's going right back to the bench. And he had, like, just come in. And that's that's what had happened. Like, for the first part of the season is, hey, it's, it's a no messing around. I'm trying to figure out my roster. But tonight, kind of let guys play. Obviously, you got the Chiron Lindsey wild card at the end there. Um, but it's going to be interesting, like, what happens over this next month for you to get as good – of a feeling as your team as you can before you enter Big 12 play. Do you think there's any correlation between Cambridge leaving early and Kyron Lindsay getting a couple minutes? It could be a possibility. I mean, obviously, I don't know how much of the severity of the injury would be able to be known that quickly. But if the, the thinking was, oh, man, we're going to be down one of our biggest guards one of our most versatile defenders for a while who else can we play he's the obvious choice and McCaslin has been on record of saying I will play you know I will play Lindsay or I will play Steph if if we need them like we want to redshirt them we think that would be the best um you know we're taking it day by day but if we need to play them that's what we'll do and so wouldn't be a surprise um I doubt we hear like any official confirmation that that's what it was but Either way, it's it's an experiment that if he's if he's down for a while, they're, they're going to have to figure it out. What are the redshirt rules in college basketball? I have to plead ignorance on this. I want to say you can play four games. You can play in four games. I'd have to double check that, um, but I do believe there's a certain amount you can play without burning your shirt. I could be wrong, though. That's the football rule. I was under the impression that there, it's if you play, you're burnt in basketball. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to double check it. It's been a while since I've looked at it. Yeah, because um, it's either oh, just okay. been like guys at the end of the bench have been walk-ons for so long at at right. Tech, and you've carried thirteen scholarships. So, I thought they had maybe changed the rule, kind of like football, where you could play some, but I I could be way wrong on that. So I don't know. We'll fact check it after we publish this to the masses with disinformation. Yeah, I was trying to look it up quick, but uh, look around the Big 12 Conference games tonight. Uh, Pitt housing West Virginia by 27. West Virginia is now 3 and 5. UCF beating Jacksonville. Jacksonville, who has a good record, uh, by 40, 94 to 52. Texas Tech obviously beating Omaha by 30. Rice losing to Houston by a bunch. And then Ole Marquette, 86 65, beating Texas. Texas looking like one of the premier teams in the Big 12, or at least early in the season. Obviously, a tick behind uh, the Kansases and the Houstons, but maybe in that next tier. Uh, but they got, as the commenter says, obliterated by Marquette. Shaka maybe has more Big 12 wins post-Texas 
than he did at Texas. It's crazy. I think that's I think he's two and zero against the Big Twelve so far this year. Shaka revenge game, baby. Yeah, and they always are. Shaka has been in that role, is great in that role, has been the underdog his entire career. I don't know why he went to Texas. It was a terrible fit. Um, but hey, he uh he got him tonight and beat him by 20. That being said, uh, with the Kansas State issues we mentioned earlier, and I think right after we went on, it, it turned from an, an indefinite suspension to a he's off the team uh, with their star player. Uh, what is the ceiling of this team in the Big 12? I think we've said this a couple of times, but it really feels like a middle-of-the-road Big 12 team, yes? Yeah, and I think even as you look at the top, right now, like you just talked about Kansas, Oklahoma is six po- six places lower than Kansas and Ken Palm right now. Like Oklahoma this looks league, good. yeah, they look really, really good. But this league, like once again, you've obviously got your top tier teams. You've got Houston, who looks really, really good this year. You've got BYU, who's lighting the world on fire right now. You've got Baylor, Kansas, and then you've got all of this noise in the middle with really good basketball teams who are just kind of trying to separate themselves right now. But all of these teams in between uh, 24 and 46 in Kempom right now, Iowa State, Cincinnati, TCU, Texas, and Texas Tech. And that's a group that I feel like you can compete with, that I feel like you can come out on the top with, especially in terms of the final final end of the season rankings but that feels like kind of the group you're going to hang around this year i don't think you'll end up being as low as say you know a ucf or a kansas state i really don't think you'll be as low as a west virginia or an oklahoma state this year but kind of in that bunch of you know the iowa states the cincinnati's the texas is how do you separate yourself how do you kind of compete within the middle of that noise so 18 conference games what would you set as like the over under right now if you were handicapping it? Oh, that is tough. I'm going to go seven. I was thinking seven I think and a half. You, I think you won five last year. Um, this one, I don't think you play Kansas at Lawrence Fieldhouse. The schedule is all messed up now. Um, so that adds kind of a, another layer to totals, but yeah, I think I think seven feels fair, especially with I think you do have West Virginia on your schedule and Oklahoma State, and so I think that helps get you two there at least. Um, but yeah, I feel like seven is a is a doable number. I don't think you beat Houston. I don't think you beat um, Baylor. I, I still don't know what BYU is as a team, but. We'll, we'll figure out. BYU just went to number one in the net ranking. Is that true? Yep. Man. Sheesh. Yeah, I think you definitely have to win. Let's see. Oh, so you get nine home games. I feel like you need to win six, which is probably doable. Like that gives you some wiggle room if you lose to Kansas, Houston, Baylor, you know, whoever. And then you need to win, I think, two on the road at like minimum. I think eight and ten. You're probably in the tournament conversation, hopefully. And so it's just kind of mapping out those wins. Obviously, they're a lot harder to get on the road. That was sort of the Achilles heel, that Sweet 16 team. They sort of 
hurt their odds of maybe being seeded higher or competing for a Big 12 title because I think they only won two Big 12 road games that year and then went undefeated at home. So it was like 11-7 and seven in the Big 12, which is incredible, but like didn't beat anybody on the road except the number one team in the country at the time, Baylor. But then like you couldn't go into Stillwater or Manhattan and win, so it was, it was weird. I was just looking at the net ranks. And it's insane. And Arizona's third. They'll be here next year. <laughs> Kansas is like 12th. There's a bunch of teams. I think Texas Tech is 100th. No, no, 90, 95th or something. Kansas State's 100th. West Virginia's the worst at like 209, but everyone else in the top 50, basically. Is West Virginia going to be a quad four game when we play them? It's in Morgantown. That's the only time you played okay. them this year. That should help. Oh, man. Juan Soto is a Yankee. Boo. Bad news. Uh, you know where you never get bad news, Kyle? I was going to try to make a joke there, but it didn't seem appropriate. So, Virginia Barbecue. That's right. Tell them about the gospel. Well, it doesn't sound like Shohei Otani wants any Rahino barbecue. He could have could have been a ranger and been within driving distance, but Rahino barbecue is the best barbecue yeah. in West Texas. Check them out on social media at Rahino BBQ. Check them out online, RahinoBBQ.com. I would I would scope out their Christmas menu if I were a dear listener. Save yourself some time on on the ham or the turkey, whatever you do at Christmas, and just order some fine West Texas barbecue from Rahino. So what we did at Thanksgiving, it's delicious. Everybody loved it. You have to buck tradition a little bit, but that's okay. Uh, I was going to weave that into somehow like the Oregon, Oregon State, but uh, couldn't get there. So. Anyway. Spiral ham there at Rahino Barbecue. Yes, grab that for Christmas. Um, or if you're just going out for a regular lunch out in Olton, order ahead online, RahinoBBQ.com. They do run out quick, so make sure your food is there when you arrive. And we appreciate the support of the Gamblin and Gauchos. Want to knock out a mailbag? Yes, this might be a really bad mailbag, just fair warning. Well, it doubled in volume after you called them out. But it... But not in uh, quality. quality. Yeah. All right. You've got mail. Mail time. I found these in my mailbag. Well, it's time to reach into the old mailbag here. Enjoy reading the fan mail. Don't read it all at once. Any mail for me? You don't have a tic-tac, do you? Did I get any mail? No. Why not, honey? Have you ever imagined dragons? I don't know. Imagine dragon nuts somewhere. Uh, Ryan, what's your favorite conspiracy? Colin, I feel like we talked about I think we talked about this last week. Were you in on that one? I was. I cannot remember what I said either. I think you said the moon landing. 
<laughs> Bush, Bush, Bush sure that was you. Bush during 9-11, I think, was what my... <laughs> And I do remember this because I started listening to the JFK podcast that Kyle talked about. It's interesting, isn't it? I've, I've been enjoying it. It's a unique storytelling format. Yeah. Uh, this question goes into the letter that the NCAA president sent out saying uh, that there was going to be a super conference. Uh, do Cody Campbell and Dusty Womble still donate to a large scale if we aren't part of the Division One super subdivision? Correct me if I'm wrong, Ryan or Rob, but the way I read it sounded like an opt-in, basically, where if the university could afford a uh, trust fund, isn't the right word, uh, endowment fund that paid student-athletes $30,000 a year, then they were in whatever league or conferences. Since the Matador Club is already paying football players, I think when that was first reported, 25000 including walk-ons, I feel like we could get to 30000 Not my money. So I don't want to be like, oh, yeah, surely Dusty and Cody can fork that over. But it feels like we're pretty much already there, hopefully. Um, something else that's important to understand with some of these, going back to that question about, like, why does Baylor or TCU have more athletics revenue than Texas Tech? One, I don't know if that's true. I'm not saying it is wrong, but I just don't know. But what I do know is a lot of schools, they basically pay their athletic department from the school, like the university budget. And my understanding is Texas Tech has never done that. And so if they wanted to, theoretically, I don't know what Texas Tech's annual budget is. Let's say it's $500 million. They could give $20 million to the athletics department, which they've never done before, I think. Um, this is just what I've like read or heard other people say. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, I think you could get there funding-wise if that's the threshold. And I think guys like Cody Campbell and Dusty Womble would be a big part of that. We would be a small part of that because we give a portion of our Patreon proceeds to the Matador Club. And when I say a small part, I mean like a really, really, really small part. But if you do want to play a small part of that, subscribe on Patreon, patreon.com slash gambling gauchos, and a portion does go to the Matador Club every month. Uh, who do you feel has the potential to make a deeper run in the tournament with their play up to this point in the season? The Lady Raiders or the Red Raiders? I would still say the Red Raiders at this point in the season. The Lady Raiders are 10-0. But it just feels like there's a, a bigger gap between the top teams in women's basketball than there is in men's basketball. I, I just... I would like to see some Big 12 games first. I think the Lady Raiders are good, um, but they've had some strong non-conferences in the past and then have not been productive. So uh, I would still say the men at this point, but Lady Raiders are looking really good. Uh, sh started slow last night and then beat whoever they were playing by 30. Um, Kelly Mora from Lubbock getting some run there as a true freshman. Bailey Moppin, dog, West Texan, uh, nearly had a double-double or had a double-double last night. So she's rocking. Uh, and then, of course, you have Kyla Freelon and the rest of the girls. I, I think they're really good. I just um, – I don't know. I would oh, lean toward the Lady Raiders at this juncture because they, they seem more likely to make it. And obviously that could change once you get into conference play, like you're saying. In fact, that – it's probably the 
biggest determining factor. But obviously, to make a run, you've got to be there. And I think that their odds, as things stand right now, are higher of making it to the tournament than the men. Ryan? It's a good point about the parity. Like, obviously, the top teams in, in college women's basketball are incredible. Like, you have... Iowa, LSU, a lot of really good teams. Kansas State is even really good. Um, Bailey Maupin does look really good. I think I'd go with the men at this point, and it's because I think you'd probably get a pretty low seed, um, which I think is factoring into my decision. So maybe you, you know, you're slated as like an eight, and you can get a, you know, not a terrible first two games on your schedule, but. Yeah, I think I'll I think I'll go men at this point, but gonna have to keep having career games. Uh, at what age will Kyle peak in life, or will he ever stop peaking? I wish I could remember the lyrics to this song and modify them a bit. This guy. Who sings this song? Uh, I can't remember his name. But he tells his woman, he says, I think I peaked in high school. And his woman tells him, that's impossible because we weren't together in high school. And so I would flip that. Since I wasn't with my wife in high school, I'm not quite peaked in high school, Rob Lowe. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. You probably have to ask her or, or my employer or some of them. You don't think you're getting, I think you're getting better with age. Is that is that something that you could say? I hope so. Like a fine wine? Yeah. Or some cheese. Or some cheese. Uh, Follow-up, could Rob tell the difference between a picture of Kyle and a picture of three-year Letterman? I think I could. <laughs> uh, why is Picador of the Week rigged? Kyle, how do you win Picador of the Week? I will say the criteria is a little bit fluid, but if you do something impressive or kind or like, uh, I think our, who's the current Picador of the week? I want to say uh, Mario won recently. I think Mario won recently. I know Puckin Red Raider, and I said Puckin with a P because yeah. he plays hockey. Uh, he won a... For winning his... Yeah, he won a hockey tournament, so he got Picador of the Week. Um, people have gotten Picador of the Week for sharing good memes in the Discord. I mean, the, yeah. there's a lot of ways to win. Jonesy got Picador of the Week for giving me a ride to the Baylor game. Now, now some say that it's you have to suck up to the mods to win Picador of the Week, and it's just whoever's most flattering yeah. to the mods. And that's True sometimes, but that's not the only way to win Picador yeah. of the Week. Ways to win. And by mods, he means Kyle. <laughs> Suck up to Kyle and you can win Picador of the Week. I also don't know how I became the sole arbiter of Picador of the Week. I think we voted on a few of them. Yeah, but like, there's no rules to it. You could, any yeah. anybody could go in and be like, so-and-so is the Picador of the Week. And there could be three Picadors of the Week in one week. It's just... Uh, and you could be Picador of the Week for a month. It. It's totally fluid. Uh, why is Kyle afraid to admit that Dak is better at quarterback than Jalen Hurts? Before I answer that, we do have a comment. It was Reed. Reed is the current picket over the week. Oh, because for talking ball. 
for talking ball. He was chopping it up with me at like midnight, just talking ball. So he won pick it over the week. Yeah. Um, why will Kyle not admit Dak is a better quarterback than Jalen Hurts? Uh, Dak needs to do what I call pull an Eli Manning and win some games in the playoffs before he can enter that conversation. So because Jalen Hurts beat uh, Josh Johnson, was it? Christian McCaffrey at quarterback for a whole half. He's better than the deck. Is that the only playoff game they won last year? Uh, I guess they beat the Giants. Okay. Which the Vikings couldn't do. And then Jalen Hurts also won a playoff game the year before that. Probably. So he has more playoff wins in like two postseason appearances than Dak has in what? This is year eight in the league for Dak? Yeah. So you can be like, oh, he was playing so-and-so. Okay, well, Dak's been playing everybody for eight years and doesn't have any playoff wins. So, And I'm a I'm a lifelong Cowboys fan. I, I live in Tarrant County, home of America's team, the west side of the DFW Metroplex. Okay, so like I live and breathe this, but he's got to win in the playoffs. Given the large amount of wide receiver transfers, what are the odds we have Plunk run the flex bone in the bowl game? That would be awesome. Hey, I've got a, a transfer portal request. We wanted to keep Donovan Smith here to play tight end, run the Wildcat, and do that kind of thing, right? There is a tight end in the portal that can do that and run the Wildcat, former quarterback. Jalen Conyers can be your savior at tight end, uh, 6'4", 270 beefcake uh from west texas groover okay i was i was gonna say groover groover greyhounds is that is that true i don't know anyways from groover uh he ran the wildcat a couple of times at arizona state most notably against arizona for 39 yards Uh, took a read option down the field so he can do it and he's also a good tight end so i'm i'm down with jalen conyers coming to be that two-quarterback set guy. Uh, what must Kansas State – okay. Uh, they almost got me there. Uh, are the rumors true that Kyle is going to suit up at wide receiver for Texas Tech in the bowl game? What are y'all sources saying? Do you have eligibility left? I doubt it. Uh, recently it was announced that softball had the number two recruiting class. Has there been any big news about the baseball class? Uh, yeah, another top 15 class. They do it every year. It, it seemingly is lost every year. I, I was going to say in that question about the donors earlier, what is there left to do big donor wise? Um, you have the South end zone complete, at least money wise you have, the football facility, you have the training facility. Uh, you just put a million dollars into softball. Like, is baseball next, and do you need big donor money? Or is that going to come at all? Or are you just kind of stalled on the $12 million you just put into the Texas Tech facility? I don't know. Uh, start bench cut, pecan pie, pumpkin pie, and banana cream pie. What? Why is banana cream in there? I don't know. I've never had a banana cream pie. 
You a big cream pie guy, Ryan? Uh, can't say I've ever had one. I like coconut cream pie. But I, I prefer coconut to banana, generally. Except banana pudding. I'm definitely cutting pecan pie, which I feel like is a hot take. But yeah, I would not, start pecan. Not a fan of nuts in my dessert. Keep them out. Let me enjoy my sugar. Um, yeah. But pumpkin pie is also not a favorite of mine. Yeah, there's nothing worse than a hidden walnut and a brownie. Strange. Oh, yeah. Rob, I, th- I think you know my stance on pie. There's only one kind of pie you like. If you punch yourself in the face and it hurts. Are you, are you not going to tell the people what it is? I don't remember. Chicken pot pie. Oh, yeah, that's right. I thought you were baiting me into something else. Uh, if you punch yourself in the face and it hurts, are you strong or weak? <laughs> I think strong. I'm kind of stumped on that one. What's that, strong? Yeah. Uh, worst thing to pay for, vet bills for a pet or new tires for your vehicle. I don't have a pet, so new tires. Do you have a pet, Ryan? Do you have any pets? I do not. Not a pet guy. Thank you. Well, neither is Kyle, but he has two big pets. No, my my wife has two pets. (laughs) Um, I don't want to get called out for not asking any of these, so I'm going to ask them all. Uh, is Rob like Joey in that he's a good chess player? I am not a good chess player. I really don't understand the rules. Uh, who most underachieved their fan base preseason expectations, TCU, UCF, or Texas Tech? TCU. I don't think the fan base had expectations so much so that Joey had expectations and we all just kind of fell in line. Uh, but yeah, TCU and UCF both thought that they would come in this year and have a huge season, and neither of them did. Um, UCF, though, gets a pass, in my opinion, because they had a first-year squad. Is it okay for a grown man to wear a sports jersey if he isn't on the team? I've got a few thoughts on this. I have a couple thoughts on this as well. So okay. there's a definite difference in jersey culture between college sports and pro sports like i went to my first dallas cowboys game a few weeks ago and 80 percent of the people there are wearing a jersey everybody yeah college game it's less common and i think that's partly because for like for so long you couldn't get an actual player's jersey until nil was a thing and maybe people just didn't want like a generic jersey i also think it's because they change a lot like you buy a Sunny Cumbie jersey, and like five years later, we've had three or four different home uniforms since then. Yeah. I also, yeah, anyway, Dallas Cowboys jersey is the same through the years. But when we played Oregon, same deal. Like almost every Oregon fan I saw was wearing a jersey. So I don't know if there's like regional differences or what. My deal on it has always been I I I think – and you know this, Rob, like I had a Sunny Cumbie Arena League jersey. If it's like a little bit unique or uh, like a rare find, like I still so, I still see people with 2004 Sunny Cumbie jerseys 
um, like in the stadium. I think that's pretty cool now. That's like nearly two decades ago. So I'm not anti-Jersey. Uh, I don't wear jerseys to games. I did the one year Cumbie was offensive coordinator because I found that on eBay and thought it was cool, but not super opinionated either way, but it's not really my deal. Uh, in junior high, I was a Jersey guy. I had uh, Saints, Ricky Williams. I had uh, a bunch of jerseys. I had some some Cowboys jerseys, a bunch of players across the league. It wasn't just one team. Had a Dem- uh, maybe a, a Terrell Davis jersey. Um, as far as adults go, generally the rule of thumb, in my opinion, is guys older than you. Like if you're wearing a throwback or something else, just out on the town maybe is a little weird. Um, but I've kind of gone back to the, if you're at the game and you're wearing a Jersey, that's why they sell them. I mean, you're wearing it to the game. You're celebrating, you're, you're rooting for your team. I bought a Terrence Steele Jersey to go to the Cowboys game last year. Uh, so I wore a Jersey to the game. It is what it is. I, I used to be a, a stickler on adults wearing jerseys, but nowadays, if you want to wear a Jersey, wear a Jersey. I don't care. But there, there is a lot of, uh, there's a lot of discourse on adults wearing jerseys out there. Ryan, do you have any strong feelings on that? I don't. I will say though, I feel like the Patrick Mahomes Texas Tech jersey is probably like one of the most owned pieces of clothing per square foot in Lubbock. Like it's got to be. Like you go out to a bar, you'll you'll see like every single college girl wearing it. You go out to a game, obviously students are wearing them. I mean, obviously people that were, you know, in school during Pat's time and are now alums, like they're wearing them. I I feel like there are certain instances where it's like everyone has one and you kind of like want to be a part of that to say like, yeah, like I've I'm repping my team's like one of my team's best players of all time. And so I think there's an element of that that makes it kind of cool of like it's like, hey, I'm not only associating myself with my team, but like my community is also like bought in and still remembering this. And so I think that's a cool aspect, but I'm, I don't think I look good in jerseys, so I don't buy them. Um, I'm a tall, lanky dude, so it, it's not really my fit. But yeah, I, I have no strong opinion. I also sort of like an extenuating circumstance. The season after Andre Emmett was murdered, I had a Andre Emmett jersey. I couldn't find an actual jersey, but I had the jersey, and so I wore that to every home game because he was my absolute favorite player growing up. Um is one of the best players in program history and then died so tragically. So I think if you've got like a good reason for it, or, or even if you don't have a reason for it, you know, it's whatever. Uh, but those are kind of like the, the situations where if I've got like a unique connection to it or something, it's really funny when I, I wore the Sonny Cumbie Jersey to a baseball game and was standing in line for concessions next to Sir Roderick Thompson. And he was like, kind of like froze. He was like, point is like, is that, he goes, is that a Sonny Cumbie Jersey? I was like, yeah. He was like, he's my coach. I was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know who you are, and I know who Sonny Cumbie is. Uh, and then he, like, wanted to take a picture with it and everything. So, anyway, um, it was fun. But uh, those are kind of the types of instances where I would be more inclined to wear a jersey. Uh, what is the best culinary fusion pairing you've had? Are you guys culinary fusions? I, I'm a – you could put anything in an egg roll, and it will probably be good. 
like a Southwest egg roll. I'm also big on leftovers being turned into a, like a fried rice, uh, like a breakfast fried rice is really good to me. I, I guess that would be a fusion. So Asian and uh, whatever cuisine you want. And I think that'd be a good fusion. You guys have any thoughts on that? You ever had a Southwest egg roll? Kyle, I know you're a big Chili's guy. I like when the Tex meets the Mex. Okay. <laughs> Does that count as fusion? Sure, yeah. Texas food and uh, Mexican food. Uh, I'll let you guys answer this one. Is Rob soft? Wait, I'm going to go back to the other question. Okay. And this is part ad read, part genuine answer. I had Rahino barbecue one time for lunch, and then I had Rosas for dinner. The next day, I had leftovers from both. So I put Rahino barbecue into a Rosas tortilla with some rice, sprinkled some cheese on it. Fantastic. So a little, little barbecue Mexican fusion there. I don't think Rob is soft. Yeah. What do you think, Ryan? Nope. A certain picador feels like I'm soft because I didn't ask his question from last week. I'm about to skip all of his from this week, too. That is not picador of the week material. Uh, I'm going to be petty. Starbench cut these controversial Chris's. Chris Wash, Chris Beard, Chris uh, Wade. Start Chris Wade because I actually like him. Yeah. The other two. Okay, hear me out on this. I think I'm going with you. Chris Beard has a higher ceiling than Chris Wash, but a lower floor. Because, like, Chris Beard has actually done harm to people. Yep. But he's also, I think it's fair to say, left Texas Tech fans with some positive memories. We do have banners hanging from the rafters from when Chris Beard was here. Chris Wash, to me, I don't know him. What I know of him from Twitter, like zero redeeming qualities for Texas Tech athletics that, that I am aware of. Yeah, and for Wisconsin athletics. And I'm a big on Wisconsin guy. I love Madison. I go to Madison every summer. So I has enough time passed? Can we bench Chris Beard or is that still – do we need to cut him? I'm benching Chris Beard. And I think I'm uh, in the negative there, or the minority at least, that uh, enough time has passed between – my experience with Chris Beard and Chris Beard today that I don't really hate him anymore. Ryan, are you still, are you still cutting Chris Beard? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> and I, I don't fault you for that. I don't think there's a wrong answer there. Yeah. Uh, you must adopt a dangerous, potentially lethal pet for two years. What would you pick? Gonna be honest, hadn't thought about this one before. Me neither. Dangerous, potentially lethal. Says pit bulls don't count. Nothing. I was thinking like an elephant. That is, if he steps on you, that's potentially lethal. Where are you keeping that thing, though? It's a good question. You got to get them when they're small enough. I'm thinking like, uh, like, uh, man, I don't know. I've seen a lot of, I know these aren't potentially lethal, but a lot of domesticated possum and raccoons lately. Just on social media, people. I think it got in my algorithm when I, when the possum Texas Tech thing happened. And I liked a lot of possum Texas Tech stuff. And now it's just domesticated possums all over the place. Um, 
I, like a snake, like a boa. But because because you can just keep that in a big cage and you don't have to interact with it much. I was kind of thinking snake, even though I hate snakes more than literally anything in the world. It like, I, it could at least stay in the box like the whole time. Yeah, you could have some crickets in there. Yeah, like a, a tiger, like is on the void. Like you can't really keep that contained. I, mean, I guess if you had a giant cage or whatever, but. Tigers are illegal. You can't have a tiger. Can y'all do, can y'all make an elephant sound? Nope, not anymore. I used to could. Wow, that was really bad. There you go. It's pretty good. Can you? Yeah, I do animal sounds with my daughter. Okay. And so I was teaching her and I... As a trunk, I stuck my arm up to my mouth like this when I did the noise you just made. Yeah. But when she tries to imitate it, she just folds her arm across her face and like basically like blows her nose. Yeah. So she hasn't. She loves elephants, but hasn't quite mastered like the trunk and the noise yet. Well, we gotta hear your elephant noise now. <laughs> oh man, I can't do it while I'm laughing. <laughs> it requires very pursed lips. Yes, it does. So. It does. Pretty good. Uh, would you rather give up hot food or hot showers for a year? Hot showers. Give up hot showers? Yeah. You're a cold shower guy? No, but I could do like a room temp shower. Okay. That feels that feels off the question. I'm, I'm thinking. No. It, but it didn't I, I say it. in the in the course of the question. I, I agree, but it said no hot. I think I would give up. Uh... Man, I don't know. Hot food is tough to give up. Yeah. I guess I'd give up the the hot food and and take the hot showers. Big hot shower guy. Um. What group of five program would you really uh, see? This is he asked that last time. We answered it. He, he says we didn't. Out. He said it was a cop out, but I'm moving on because he called me soft three three different ways. UNLV. Uh, so close to getting robbed, yet so far, yeah, you didn't get me on that question. Um, you answered it in the mailbag, and then y'all had a discourse. So that's it. There was a question about racism earlier that almost got me. So. We'll move on from that. Final thoughts? Um, honestly, not really. I think that's... I think I emptied the tank. I'm going to change my pet from elephant to bear after seeing a very alarming comment um, in the YouTube live stream here about the... Uh, Circle of life when it comes to elephants and their digestive system. So I'll go with something a little bit lower maintenance. That is such a fact to just have in your pocket that elephants poop up to 220 pounds a day. That is, that is crazy. I don't know if I fully believe that. And even if that's mostly true, the words up to are kind of doing a lot of work there. I don't know. Are you are you trying to Google this to fact check it? Yeah. 
seven facts about elephants. I just want to right here. Google it. Uh, elephants spend almost 80% of their day eating, which means they also constantly digest and excrete. Yeah, an elephant can produce up to 100 kilograms or 220 pounds of day uh, of dung per day. Which also means they defecate 12 to 15 times daily. Over the span of a year, an elephant will produce over 40 tons of dung. Did I ever play Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 4? I don't know if I got to 4, but I certainly played a lot of Tony Hawk Pro Skater in my day. Ryan, are you a Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 4 kind of guy? On the PS2. I think I, think I caught like Skate. Like Skate 3 was like one of the first ones I remember playing. Skate was good too. You know, on Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, you'd like go to different levels that are different skate parks. Yeah. And one of the missions was you had to, I think it was called Skitch or Sketch, which is like hold on to the back of a car or something. Same buttons as like holding a manual or a grind. But anyway, there's a zoo level and you have to sketch behind an elephant and dodge the dung. Well, like holding on to the elephant's tail for a certain amount of time on your skateboard. I do not remember that, so I don't think I played that one. Yeah, that's it's taking me back to like 2003 right now. Yeah. Pro Skater 4 was post-2003, but... Feels like I was in like fifth grade, but I don't know. I could be wrong. Maybe, yeah, I think it was four. Maybe I had three. It was three or four. I hope that resonates with at least like one person who knows what I'm talking about. They're like, I remember that level. I remember that mission. Well, that did come out in 2002. Dang. I was, I was pegging those as, uh, I guess, you know, I was in high school then. So that tracks. I just forgot how old I was. Close to high school. Eighth grade, maybe. Anyways. All right. Lots of poop talk there in the last five minutes. <laughs> It happens. Love y'all. Love y'all.